Hello, and welcome to Impact the Borough, a podcast from the Greensboro Chamber of Commerce. I'm Brent Christensen, President and CEO of the Greensboro Chamber of Commerce. Each week, a Chamber staff member will sit down with a guest to discuss what we're doing to start and grow businesses, create quality jobs, develop our workforce, and tell the inspiring story of Greensboro to the world. Today, we are celebrating Black History Month with a discussion of Greensboro's history of African-American trailblazers. Your host is Nikita Green, the director of our Leadership Greensboro program. She became passionate about leadership and its significance in improving quality of life in the community while completing her Master of Public Administration degree at North Carolina Central University. Before joining the chamber in 2017, she worked and held leadership roles in healthcare, workforce development, and human services organizations. Welcome, Nikita. Hi, everyone. I'm excited to be here today to talk to a couple of folks in our community about some of the freedom fighters, some of the history of freedom fighters and trailblazers in our community. I'm here with Mr. James Shields and Mr. Frank McCain, Jr. So can you both tell us a little bit about yourselves? Okay. Well, uh, my name is James Shields. I'm the director of the Bonner Center at uh, Guilford College. I've been there since 2001. Uh, I finished at Guilford College with a history degree, and it really is how I got there. Um, I was really interested in Underground Railroad history and um, decided to get a degree there. And I thought I was going to become a a history professor, and (laughs) I got called into the Bonner Center. And I'm just, it's just so enriching for me to work with young people that are out doing service, to see them develop into um, folks that are, you know, uh, I'd say causing trouble yeah. out in the community, <laughs> but, 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 but making change. Uh, I'm also um, an actor. I've, um, for 18 years, I acted in the play Pathway to Freedom, which is about the history of the Underground Railroad here in Guilford County. And I'm also a, a musician. I've been a reggae musician uh, off and on for the last uh, 30 years. So okay. um, not too long ago, I, I had dreads down past my waist, no. but, I, but I let those go. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, that's me. I've been, I've been married for 37 years. Um, my wife, Elaine, and uh, we have a daughter, uh, Keisha, who's 23, and we have a 15-year-old cat. And, Life is good. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Sounds like it. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Frank, can you tell us a little bit? Yeah, that's about quite it? impressive. Um, I am Frank McCain. Um, I am originally from Charlotte, North Carolina. I came to Greensboro by way of the great North Carolina A&T State University. <laughs> and um, after completing my degree there, um, I started a career in finance, financial services. And so here in Greensboro, and I've been here ever since, um, great community. Um, I currently am the vice president of community investment and impact for the United Way of Greater Greensboro, uh, where we really work to try to address poverty in our community, really trying to put an end to poverty, really put a huge dent in it at least. And we're making some great progress. Um, Personally, I have um, been very engaged in the community um, by way of serving on a few boards. Um, I've served on the um, International Civil Rights Center Museum Board, board the um, YMCA Board, the Reading Connections Board. Um, the Greensboro Police Foundation is one that I currently sit on. And as you might imagine, I'm active with the North Carolina A&T State University Alumni Association. So those that's some of my background. I am um, married to Vicki. 
who hails from Rocky Mountain, North Carolina. She is an accountant and a pastor at um, Presbyterian Church of the Cross here in Greensboro. So I'll send a shout out for you to come and visit her at Presbyterian Church, (laughs) Presbyterian Church of the Cross here in Greensboro. And I have a son, Mac, who is um, in graduate school at A&T, and a daughter, Taylor, who is pursuing her own dreams down in Miami, Florida. Glad to be here. Awesome. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And Mac is a, what, three-time champion? Mac is a, yes, Mac is a um, <laughs> three-time All-MEAC player, three-time um, member of the North Carolina A&T Celebration Bowl champions, three awesome. times. And he's also an All-American football player. So awesome. he is um, he's completed his undergraduate degree and now is currently working on his graduate degree in agricultural business. So he will be there for one more year in grad school and on the football team for one more year because he has another year of eligibility. Oh, wonderful. Okay. Thank, thank awesome. you. And so, Frank, so people hearing your name mm-hmm. might recognize it. Can you tell us why? Well, I um, it's, it's, sometimes they don't, and it's intentional on my part. I go by Frank McCain, mm-hmm. but my birth name is Franklin McCain, and I happen to be Franklin McCain Jr. And so my father, Franklin McCain Sr., is the one that people are most familiar with. He was one of the four gentlemen who went down to the Woolworth lunch counter on February 1st, 1960, and and sat down there as 18-year-olds and decided they wanted to change the direction of the nation. <laughs> and on that day, they actually did. So, um, yeah, he, along with David Richmond, Ezell Blair, and Joseph McNeil, four A&T freshmen who were very courageous, um, very unlike me at age 18 years old, <laughs> decided that they really could do something and, and influence change, and they sat down at the lunch counter at Woolworth. You said freshman, and, mm-hmm. and now having a son in college, mm-hmm. it really impresses upon me just how young that really, right. really right. is. Exactly right. um, to be that um, to be that courageous, I mm-hmm. think at that age, it mm-hmm. really impresses upon me. So, if you could tell me a little bit about whether or not your father ever reflected on how his age either influenced or hindered their. Um, their decision and their courage to make that decision yeah. uh, to sit yeah, in. He talked about that. Um, my father, to the day of his death, believed that um, the way of the future was really through youth, through children. He believed that children had not lived long enough to be tainted by all of the sins of the world. Mm-hmm. And they saw things as being fair and just. And so um, he thought that they all thought that at their age, it was a perfect time to, to do what they did. Uh, my father often referred um, to a conversation he had with his mother where his mother would tell him that he could, you know, as long as he did well in school and stayed out of trouble, mm-hmm. you know, he could be anything in this world he wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And my father believed that, um, having been having been reared mostly in Washington, D.C., which was a little bit more progressive at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, he believed that. But then when he came south, um, he saw that that was not necessarily the case. And he actually called it the big black lie that his mother used to tell him that he could be anything <laughs> in the world he wanted to be. But what he but but what he did know is is that he wanted his children and grandchildren to really be able to live in a world where they really could be all that they wanted to be. And he knew that the current climate that they were in would not allow that. And so he and those three gentlemen just said, "We've got to we've got to take action." Yeah. You know, if it's going to change, then we have to be the ones to make change. We don't need to sit and hem and haul about what's wrong with the world. What can we do in a nonviolent way to impress upon people that the way that in which society is being run is not a fair and just way? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. And it, it makes me think about um, Levi Coffin mm-hmm. as well. He, I read a quote from Levi Coffin. said, the dictates of humanity came in opposition to the law of the land, and we ignored the law. Um, so he was also very young um, at the time that he got engaged with, um, with the Underground Ro- Railroad. I'm not sure how many people in the area know um, Greensboro and Guilford College's connection and the Quakers' connection to the Underground Railroad and liberation. Can you talk a little bit about that? How sure, it to sure. Well, of course, uh, you know, the Quakers settled in Guilford County um, around the uh, mid-1700s. And um, they first came, actually, to uh, Alamance County, uh, the area of Snow Camp, a Cane Creek meeting. It's kind of known as the mother of meetings. And out of that grew New Garden Meeting, uh, which is still standing to Original building is not, but it's still standing. Um, Deep River Meeting, which, of course, is in Jamestown. Mm -hmm. And so um, these were people that came, a lot of them came from uh, Nantucket and places like that. So they were already against uh, slavery. And so they they came to this area. Levi Coffin, who is known as the president of the Underground Railroad for the work that he did, he first um, encountered uh, slavery, at least in, in, in the ways that encouraged him to be, um, to, to work with the Underground Railroad. He was seven years old. Mm-hmm. And there was this coffle of slaves coming through. And he stops. And they give water to the enslaved Africans. And he asked, his father asked, well, what's, what's, what's going on with you boys? Why are you being chained like this? Because they had seen slaves before, but not in this way, right? Because we're starting to clear out the Native Americans, you know, from South Carolina and Mississippi and Alabama. And so we needed more people. And so you started seeing the, these caravans of slaves going farther south. And they said, well, we've been taken away from our families. And we're being sent down south. And Levi, at seven years old, he thought to himself, "What would, how would we feel if father was taken away from us? Mm-hmm. And so that was the beginning of him having empathy. Because, you know, we, we can all have sympathy and just sit on the sidelines. But he actually felt what was going on and said, well, I've got to do work. And so he worked with his father. He worked with his cousins and his uncles. And eventually, of course, he moved away from this area and he still kept in um, contact with people that were here in Guilford County, including free African-Americans who lived in Guilford County as well. It's just the amount of courage, seven years old, like the amount of courage and maybe the innocence of being that young. Mm -hmm. Um, You see something, you do something, maybe that's a part of it, but the amount of courage that it takes just um, impresses um, upon me. It really does. Um, I've read as well, um, Frank, your father said something that kind of blew my mind as well. His quote was in in an interview, he said, I certainly wasn't afraid and I wasn't afraid because I was too angry to be afraid. If I were lucky, I would be carted off to jail for a long time. And if I were not so lucky, then I would be going back to campus in a pine box. So again, that quote, that quote demonstrates an incredible amount of, um, of courage and bravery. Um, how did that continue to play out in his life? I mean, we understand how much it must have taken for freshmen to say, essentially, we're going to launch a movement, we're going to change the world. Um, but how did that play out? That must have been a fundamental part of who he was. How how did that come to play in the rest of his life? Yeah, that's um, <clears throat> I've I've heard that quote uh, a few times, and <laughs> and I talked to my father about that, and 
you know, he he was a man of strong conviction um, and very passionate about um, um, social issues and fairness and equality. And he felt that if you really were truly invested in something um, like that, that you should be willing to give your life for it. Um, because there had been people before him who had given their lives Mm -hmm. to affect change. And, um, again, he did not want his children or grandchildren to have the type of experiences that um, they were having, you know, in the the 60s at that time. So he continued to really be very actively engaged civically. Mm -hmm. Uh, My father um, and mother moved to Charlotte, and uh, my mother was an elementary school principal, and my father... And this is a good this is a good story to tell actually. Mm-hmm. Um, my father, um, when he moved to Charlotte, um, he went to Charlotte with a with a degree from A and T in biology and chemistry, and so he went to apply for jobs trying to teach school. He could not get a job teaching school. He went and work. He went to talk to some large companies who had chemical labs or things of that nature. Could not get a job in the lab or anything like that, and he finally got a job at a place. And um, but it was not as a biologist or a chemist; it was as the custodian, oh, wow. and um, and that, um, as you might imagine, um, could um, tarnish someone's ego mm-hmm. um, or belittle them in some mm-hmm. form or fashion. But he remained steadfast, and he knew he had a family to take care of, and so he was never too proud to do whatever it was he needed to do to take care of his family. So he took a job as a custodian at the company, mm-hmm. but as um, God would have it. Um, as my father was a man of faith, um, he was um, he was um, offered the position to clean the the bathrooms in the executive part of the building. So he came in co- in, 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 in he came in contact with a lot of the um, senior executives of the organization, and one of them, the CEO, he would have die, he would have conversation with him, and the CEO one day said to him, "Well, Franklin." Um, you know, you seem like a reasonably intelligent man. You know, you should consider going to college and get a degree. And my dad said to him, well, actually, I have two. And the guy said, well, why in the world are you in here, you know, being the custodian? There's nothing wrong with being the custodian, but if you've gone to college, mm-hmm. don't, you don't, don't you have aspirations to do more? And my father said, of course I do, but I've applied for a job here, and they told me there weren't any jobs in the lab. Mm-hmm. Well, being the good man that this guy was, Within two weeks, my father had a job in the lab, and um, and he worked very hard. And when he retired, he was one of those people who had an office in the executive suite that many many years earlier he had been cleaning. And so what he said along the way was is that he knew that there were other people like him that looked like him, especially who were qualified, who needed an opportunity. So he saw his role as being a mentor um, and an advocate to increase the number of minorities who work at that firm. Mm. So I will tell you to this day, I still have people who come to me and say, your father made all the difference in the world, helped me get my career started. He opened the door for us to get into this company. We have all done well. We've tried to live out his legacy so that he would have been proud. Mm-hmm. So it's just things like that that, yeah. that that you learn along the way that, um, you know, so it was a, it was an ongoing battle. It never really ended for him. Mm-hmm. Never, ever. Right. Um, it, you bring up an interesting point, mm-hmm. though, that um, while this was it was something that your father struggled with, mm-hmm. 
being a very educated man that mm-hmm. still was um, because of bias, mm-hmm. um, he wasn't able to get the same kind of position. Right. Um, but relationship mm-hmm. mattered. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. It really um, it involves um, oftentimes moving the needle forward. Um, when we look back at history, has involved someone else who isn't necessarily in that particular position mm-hmm. of oppression right. to be um, to engage. Right. So. So, James, if you wouldn't mind maybe um, sharing a little bit about um, when you think about not just Quakers, but in general, um, how other people who are not necessarily in that particular struggle, how have other people contributed to um, to change in our community? How how have they partnered to contribute to change? Um, You know, especially as it relates to the Underground Railroad Mm -hmm. here in Guilford County, you know, we hear a lot about the Quakers, Mm -hmm. what we we don't always hear about, and that's part of what we're trying to do with Guilford right now. We're we're, we're trying to broaden the narrative, mm-hmm. and you know there were many free African Americans that lived in Guilford County between 1820 and 1840. We went from just maybe 200 to over 600 people. That was about 24 percent, mm-hmm. and so we know, and at least we're starting to find out that they were involved in the Underground Railroad as well. Mm-hmm. So these were people who were free. These were people who took great risk because to be free to be a free black in a slave state you took a lot of risk mm-hmm. <laughs> and I mean you, you you could be kicked out and in fact many folks who were technically free we're finding out now were owned by some of the Quaker meetings because that was the way that they could be protected mm-hmm. because whether you were free or not and whether you lived in the north or the south you had no rights and so the only way that you could be protected, even as a free person, was as property. Mm-hmm. So you had these people like, for example, Arch and Viner Curry. These were people who were free. They had their free papers. They worked at New Garden uh, Boarding School, which is now Guilford College. Now, they could have just stepped back, done their thing. But in, but in fact, they worked with Levi Coffin. They would pass their free papers on to people that were coming through, and they would take those free papers up to uh, Levi Coffin, who was now living in, in Indiana, and then he would send those free papers back, and they would send them back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, Quakers, like I said, took a lot of risk. Um, our students now that are doing service, they work with people that are living with homelessness, that are living with poverty, um, that are living in sub substandard housing. Many of these students actually come from those communities. So it's crucial for them not only just to give back, but how do I use my education to change policy? How do I use my education to do more than just a Band-Aid? Can drives are great. Um, just basic tutoring is great. But how do I move beyond that? so that we can encourage a young man to pick up a book instead of a gun? How do we encourage a young lady to, um, to, to be encouraged to, to, be, to be a lawyer or a scientist? And so these are things that some of our students are doing. So yes, I think they understand. I think the Quakers understood it. I think our students get it as well, is that they have to use their privilege for more than just trying to get ahead personally. And I think that's what we're seeing. That's what we encourage yeah. for for our young people. That's awesome. Um, and so you're um, you, you both have uh, while maybe you weren't a part of these 
trailblazing moments. You mm-hmm. both had this connection to it. So, so I want to find out a little bit about both of you in this way personally. Frank, can you tell me, um, you have an internationally significant parent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At the end of the day, he's your dad, Correct. you know, as well. Right. Um, can you um, tell me a little bit, though, about just as your father, how mm-hmm. you, um, him being just your father, how you... Um, try to continue his legacy as your father or as as one of the ANT4? How do you try to, in your life, continue his legacy? Well, it's interesting. I get that question on occasion. And, mm-hmm. um, and you know, I was, um, I probably was no older than eight, probably somewhere around eight when I began to realize um, that my father had some celebrity um, <laughs> in him um, in the fact that there were people who wanted to talk to him, and I never understood why they wanted to talk to him. These are people I see on television. Why do they want to talk to you? <laughs> and so he never really talked about it initially. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he really played the father role. Mm-hmm. And in that father role, and my mother um, being a Bennett graduate um, from Waynesboro, Georgia, oh, wow. um, you know, grew up very Southern, very polite, and, um, you know, worked on worked on my brothers and I to be, you know, courteous and respectful. Um, you know, and my father always would tell us that, you know, we have, um, that the world is bigger than you, mm-hmm. uh, which is something similar to what I just heard James talk about mm-hmm. with the Quakers. You know, the world was, he would always tell us, you know, the world is bigger than you. And what he meant was, is that, you know, you can't go through this world just worried about what's right for you, what's good for you. and It's just me, I, he says, you just, that's just not how you're supposed to be. And so um, I would say that my brothers and I are all the same way in the fact that we, I think oftentimes think of others first, um, you know, and, and, and what our actions might mean for other people. And then what role can we play as individuals in our own way? You know, maybe, you know, it's, doesn't have to be something international um, like the Woolworth sit-ins, the mm-hmm. sit-in movement itself, but maybe, you know, it's something in your own community, um, you know, your own neighborhood perhaps, uh, statewide. I mean, it could be something international or national, but the bottom line is is that you always need to um, be aware, um, be willing to um, be bold. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to be willing to go against the curve, um, against the crowd, um, be your own man. You have a mind of your own. You know right from wrong. So it was really about us individually finding out who we were, what really you know rocked our boat, mm-hmm. and what we were really interested in, and and becoming in, involved um, and embrace whatever that whatever that is. And so you know, for me, initially it was financial services because that is a business that. Um, a lot, a lot of people um, don't know a whole lot about, mm-hmm. and, um, and you know, the world in which we live in, you know, money talks. Absolutely. And so, um, so once I sort of learned that and mastered it, so to speak, then I, you know, I start looking at this human side of things, human services. And, and um, on my board in my office, I have a quote that I, I wrote that, I, that, I, that says, someone out there needs me to be their voice today. Mm-hmm. And what that means is, is that I realize that I have an opportunity on a daily basis because I, I get invited to these boardroom tables where the decisions are really made. Mm-hmm. And it's my responsibility to speak up and speak out and to make sure that decisions that are being made have been really thought out and are conducive to the enrichment of all people. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so I try to make it a point to make sure that I do that. And, I, and a lot of times it's not a popular, I'm not the most popular person in the room, and that's perfectly right, okay. Right, I'm right. way, way, way past those years. Right. But what you cannot ever say about me, no one would ever be able to say, is that I'm not fair and that mm-hmm. I don't think about what's best and what's right. That I will always, always, always do. Yeah, awesome. And and likewise, James, I know um, I heard you say that as an alumnus um, at Guilford College, knowing that your ancestors had come to that same place mm-hmm. was really significant to you. Can you talk about how that um, connection impacts the, the work that you do? Well, certainly, uh, you know, we, we, we certainly um, live on the shoulders of the ancestors. And when I was first brought out to the to the woods and the huge tree that's there, I, I literally got chills mm-hmm. knowing what had gone on, and which we know because it's documented. Mm-hmm. So we know that enslaved Africans seeking freedom came through those woods. And to know that there's more work to be done, uh, just telling their story. It's, it's so important for us to tell their story. But the work that I do at Guilford College, working with young people, getting them to move beyond, not beyond just simple volunteerism, but how do I become a servant leader? And so part of what I do is to help young people become civically engaged professionals. So whether they're in finance Mm -hmm. and they have some knowledge about things like redlining and things like that, or how do I go into politics and actually change policy? Mm -hmm. Those are things that we do with our students. It's just so important um, for me. I think that's why, you know, I, I made a conscious decision. Do I become a history professor or do I work with young people? And I was just really drawn by that. Um, I had my role models. My, my mother was a teacher in Norfolk, Virginia. She was, when they, when they integrated, they took her from, from Booker T. Washington High School, which was the black school, and took her over to Mari. So she was one of the first black women to go. And not only that, they made her the head of the English department, which, as you can imagine, didn't go over very well with some <laughs> folks. My father was one of the first black detectives on the police force oh, wow. in in Norfolk, Virginia. I have a really great, um, you know, doc, Dr. King's birthday was just a few days ago. Mm-hmm. We have a picture of him when, when Dr. King came to Norfolk. He was put on the um, detail, mm-hmm. you know, and we have this picture of him, you know, with Dr. King. And, of course, we're, we're, we're very proud of that. Yeah. But, but he did a lot of work in the community. And so it wasn't just being a cop on the beat, but he actually worked with the community. Uh, you know, my grandfather... He did a lot of work in in the community in Durham. You know, we grew up in Durham. There were places in Haytai, for example. These th- these people didn't have um, e- electricity, and they still had wood stoves. Yeah. And I'm wondering why am I working with this guy in the middle of the summer, delivering wood? And he was delivering wood to people because they had wood stoves. And so he was giving a service. He didn't make any money off of that. But it was a service, and those are some of the things that he did. So, so yeah, so I, I, I certainly have um, role models, not only with my family, but through church, that service is crucial, and it's something that you have to do every day Absolutely. and just have to be part of your life. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And we all have something we can't do. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So given um, in, right here in Greensboro, in little old Greensboro, we've had race riots. We've had peaceful sit-in movements. We've had you know, um, the Underground Railroad come right through this same community. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to hear from both of you. Is it fair to say that Greensboro is a revolutionary city? I would say that's very fair. And that's evidenced by 
the things that you've just mentioned that have taken place in this community. Um, and there are a lot of other things that, mm-hmm. you know, don't have a lot of notoriety behind it, but have made a difference. You know, you think about, you know, the women at Bennett College. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, um, one of only two historically black colleges for all women in the nation. Um, you know, you look at the the young women at, and young men, too, at UNCG who were very engaged in the city-ins. Once they got started, you know, they could have stayed right down the street and, True. you know, clutch to their pocketbooks and say, hey, we're just going <laughs> to stay in our little neighborhood and stay out the way. But that's not what they did. Mm-hmm. So Greensboro, I think, is very revolutionary. Um, you know, you've got, you know, you, again, you've got schools like A&T where there's a lot of brilliance over there. That's mm-hmm. right. A lot of brilliance over there. You know, um, you know, you, there are young people over there inventing things and yeah. and, and they're, they have a social conscience about themselves. Mm-hmm. And so that, to me, makes me feel very good about this community in which we live. Yeah. I would just say that, you know, we have to um, we have to do a better job of working um, collaboratively. I think that's very important. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we um, have to encourage our young people or provide, encourage and also provide them with the opportunities to be able to remain in Greensboro right. upon um, graduation from college. You know, so if there aren't any jobs <laughs> here, you know, we bring all these students into town and they get this great education right here in Greensboro, North Carolina from the six or seven universities we have. And then they get these great jobs and they move to Indianapolis, they move to Washington, <laughs> D.C., right. they move to L.A., you know, so we've got to figure out how to stop that bleeding mm-hmm. of um, good people who are who want to be engaged and would be very good people, very good citizens of this community. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you say, James? I, I totally agree with that. Um, the, the the history of our community is um, pretty well known, but I think presently we have, like I said, we have this energy of the young people. Um, I have a considerable amount of young people who've come through our program, who've come through Guilford College, who have remained in Greensboro because they came to know Greensboro. They came to know the people, whether they're working in the immigrant and and refugee community, which is huge. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't know how huge it is. They really Mm -hmm. don't. Um, They think maybe it's just like the the Latinx community, but we got a huge Asian community, African community, and it's it's beautiful. Um, One of the first things that I do with my young people with my first years is that we get on a bus and we do a social justice tour of Greensboro. So it's not the Chamber of Commerce tour, you know, mm-hmm. uh, we stop by A&T, for example, and we and we go to the statue of the Greensboro Four. We go around the corner and we look at the um, the brick wall, you know, with the bullet holes in it. No, we don't have have time to go into that, but <laughs> but we want them to understand that justice is a struggle, whether it's. Um, Nonviolent, which of course is what we want, but you also have to know your history. But then you also have to begin to know things like policy. And a lot of people are like, "Oh, I don't want to get into that." Well, then, do you really want change? Mm-hmm. Right? Um, I think there's a lot of potential in Greensboro, and I agree with Frank when I feel like we need to do a better job of collaboration. Whether it's in homelessness or working with uh, immigrants or refugees or, or education, a lot of times we kind of fall into our silos and we want to get our accolades and we want to do our thing and we pat ourselves on the back. But are we actually making change? Um, do we have more you know, uh, housing that is affordable? Do we 
do we have less people who are homeless? Do we have are are we providing the type of support that immigrants and and refugees need when they come to Greensboro? Are we truly a welcoming city? Right, and and that's more than just having a sign saying that ER, but mm-hmm. you got to have the policies in place. Right. You got to have places for folks to go. I know um, for our students, we were motivated, and many of us were motivated um, just a couple of years ago, almost a couple of years ago, when you know the five kids died in that fire. Mm-hmm. And part of the motivation was not just to protest or vent, mm-hmm. but many of our students and many of the agencies in Greensboro, they uh, mobilized to work with the city. How do we keep this from happening again? Mm-hmm. How do we hold landlords accountable? And so we are, we, 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 we are seeing that. And so that's what we're doing with, with our young people. Uh, Greensboro is a beautiful community. That's why I moved here over 25 years ago. Um, it's a great place to um, raise a family. It's a great place to have a career. We've got everything you need, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got mm-hmm. wonderful churches. We've got all the colleges. Mm-hmm. Um, we got Trader Joe's, right? We do. <laughs> we do. And no, but we got we got great food. <laughs> we, I mean, we really have it all. You know, I mean, I, I centrally I, located. You know, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I've got friends saying, "Man, you need to come to Charlotte." I'm like, eh, "No, I'm okay." Yeah. <laughs> I love Greensboro. I love Greensboro. Yeah. I, I would agree. I agree with both of you. It is a great city. And I, what I hope is that our connection to um, being revolutionary mm-hmm. is something that we can continue to yes. pull on to kind of mm-hmm. do some of the things that you all mm-hmm. are saying. And hopefully we'll use the examples of, of those like Levi Coffin mm-hmm. and Franklin McCain Sr. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and we'll pull on those. I could definitely talk to both of you all day. <laughs> I wish I could. <laughs> but this has been great um, talking to, yeah, to both of you. Thank you so much for taking the time to come and, and share pleasure. these things with us. So thank you both. Thank you so thank much. You. Well, that's it for today's episode. Make sure that you subscribe so that you can get a new episode delivered to your device each week. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at GSO Chamber. See you next time.